Grace and peace to you all, and welcome to the Calvary Road with Pastor Sam Allen. They weren't guilty of all of them, but they were guilty of some of them. And the same is true for us. All have sinned, all do sin, all will sin. It's not fatalistic to acknowledge it because if we don't know that we're still capable of sin, we're gonna think, well, I'm okay. And he says, be careful when you, you know, think like that, lest you fall. Be careful when you think you've arrived, because you haven't. We begin today in verse 9 of Mark chapter 7. This is part 2 of Pastor Sam's message, Defiled. Think of the Ralph Waldo Emerson quote saying, Your actions speak so loudly I cannot hear what you are saying. This is the kind of thing Jesus was dealing with as he taught us on what defiles us. So let's listen in. The picture here is the parents are getting older and they're needing some help. And the kids are like commanded, make sure you don't only respect and revere, but you repay. Make sure you care for them practically. Honor actually means that in scripture. It's not the only meaning, but it means that. So he shows what they were doing instead. They thought they found a loophole and a way to avoid something that God was so clear on. You say, verse 11, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is Corban, that is a gift to God. Then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother, making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down and many such things you do. They were nullifying God's command, replacing it with this loophole created by mere men. So what is this actually saying? The word Corban means dedicated to God. So what they would do, dad and mom would care for them. They got older, they're semi-retired or retired completely. And the kids are taking care of them. And all of a sudden they're like, you know, I know you have a need. And I really like, we really want to help. I mean, we prayed about it, but the problem is this. We dedicated everything we have to God. So we really don't have anything left for you. It seems unimaginable, but it really isn't. Happens all the time today. Some people aren't dedicating it to God. They have it tied up in mortgages and, and vacations and, and memberships and all sorts of other things. We'd really like to help you. There's just no way for us to do it. This was God's program, by the way, to take care of those who were older and, and needed help. There wasn't a, 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 a net, a social net in the, um, in the government because the government was still a part of the community of God. And, and so people did pitch in. Nobody had to ask them. If someone saw someone in need, they would help them. So all of that to say they were nullifying God's commandments by replacing them with men's commandments. And when he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, hear me, everyone, and understand there is nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but the things which come out of him, these are those things that defile a man. This is a revelation to them, by the way, and even to his closest disciples. How do we know that? Because the disciples don't get it, as is often the case in a moment. They're going to go in the house and the disciples are going to say, hey, what were you talking about out there? Could you explain this parable to us? 
There's something else, though. They don't always get the lesson even after he explains it. So if you're one of those people with a really good memory and you're like, wait, didn't we look at this story recently in Matthew? If you were here, we did. And guess what? We're going to probably see it again in Luke. But here's the point. If you heard it the first time and thought you understood it, the question would be, well, have you implemented it? Did it make a change? Are you now practicing it? And if not, he's bringing it to your attention again. If you remember and he's bringing it to your attention, that's an attaboy, a well done, good job. Hey, look, you heard it, you understood it, and now you're doing it. That's good. But if not, it's another opportunity to make things right with him. I know Peter didn't totally get this because in the book of Acts, after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and ascension, Peter's on a rooftop waiting for some some uh, food to be cooked for him. He's smelling that food coming up. He's in a kind of a dream state. And all of a sudden he sees this, this sheet let down from heaven. And he hears the Lord speaking to him, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, not so, Lord. I, nothing, nothing unclean has ever passed through these lips. Well, Jesus said nothing unclean can pass through those lips. Not that direction anyway. The other direction, that happens a lot. And that was happening at that very moment. So, so don't think because you've heard it and you can say it that that means you really get it. You really get it when you're doing it, when it's changed how you think, how you speak, how you act. And if you're doing those things out of love, for him and obedience to him. Well, he calls the multitudes. He says, nothing that enters a man from outside, that can defile him. But the things which come out of him, these are the things that defile a man. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Ten times those words appear in Scripture. Two in the Old Testament, eight in the New Testament. All eight are by Jesus in the Synoptic Gospels. That, by the way, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if you're newer to all this. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That appears seven times in the book of Revelation 2 and 3 as Jesus addresses seven churches, first century churches in that day. And to each of them, he says, if you have an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Well, Verse uh, 17, I made mention of it already. When he entered a house away from the crowd, his disciples asked him concerning this parable. So he said to them, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from outside cannot defile him? Because it does not enter his heart, but his stomach and is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, that defiles a man. He's saying there's nothing you can eat that will defile you. Now, why then did he give these prohibitions, dietary restrictions to Israel? Two basic reasons. The primary one might surprise you. It was just to set them apart. So they would be different from the people around them. And when he tells us we're not to engage in some behavior or some activity or something that's legal and lawful, but he's saying, I don't want that for you. That's not my plan for you. He's not doing that to punish you, but to bless you and to make you stand out. And I do know that there are a lot of people 
who would rather not stand out, rather not be noticed for being different. But I want to say, if you're a Christian, you're different because this world is going away from the Lord and, and at a you know, breathtaking pace. And, and, and so own it. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Don't be ashamed to be a Christian. Don't be ashamed to stand out. When you hear people saying, you know, the Bible says, and what they're saying isn't in the Bible, here's a great challenge. Say, wow, you know what? That sounds familiar. Do you know where it is? And, and would you mind finding it for me? And well, I don't know where it is off, off the, the cuff. You know, things like God helps them that help themselves. Yeah, why don't you look for that, right? And just tell them, hey, when you find it, text me or call me. But please find it because I really want to know. They just might read the Bible trying to prove that it's there and get saved. Weirder things have happened. So he's saying nothing you eat can defile you. Now, that doesn't mean some things aren't disgusting. He told them not to eat bats. I don't think he had to say that. I mean, the only way I'm going to eat a bat is if I'm stuck in a cave and it's Bats are me, you know. I'm going to eat them or they're going to eat me. That's it. But, but most of what he said not to eat, there were not only the, the most practical reason to set them apart, but there were dietary, you know, blessings of, of not eating certain things and eating other things. And so anyway, his primary thing, though, was spiritual. It wasn't physical. That's why he can change it here. He can say, listen, that was for them. That was for then. But now you need to know, hey, you can eat anything you want. And it's going to take a while for some of those Jewish Christians to really grab hold of that concept and, uh, and, and buy into it. So he's not merely re redefining and clarifying what can defile. He is deconstructing their faulty foundation. He's replacing it with the revelation that goes to the very core of what was keeping them from pleasing him. He's saying it's what's coming out. That's defiling a man. That defiles a man. Verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of men, comes every kind of sin. Where does sin originate? This is important. Because today there's a lot of discussion about the violence that's happening. And, and I hear people saying it's the movies, it's the music, it's the video games, it's the politicians. But I want to say he's saying every kind of sin, it's coming out of the hearts of men. For out of the heart of men comes every kind of sin. Why? The heart of man is the core of one's being. When it comes to um, rapes, the human trafficking, all, all those abominations, well, they're saying, well, it's pornography. And listen, pornography plays a part. And, and, and if you have gotten yourself there, get yourself out and get yourself out today. Don't ever go back. You can make that choice. And if you're like, I don't know, I, I used to smoke. It took me years to stop. Well, just stop this right now. Why? Because pornography defiles a person in ways so many other things can't. But I want to say the core issue isn't out there. It's in here. It's another issue of the heart. He's saying all these things come out of the heart. They proceed from within the heart. 
Our hearts determine our values. As a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Your heart, by the way, is not talking about the pump, never in the New Testament. The Old Testament, sometimes it's the physical heart, sometimes it's the, the, the core of our being. Listen, it's the core of our, our intellect, of our emotions, of our thought process. It's, it's where all the decisions of life take place. That's why he says, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it spring all the issues of life. A man's heart devises his way, he says, but the Lord directs his steps. The Lord takes the path you've chosen and then he helps you to walk uprightly on it. So heart, by the way, if you want to know how important this issue is, 832 times that word appears in scripture. There are few words that appear way more. Well, from within, out of the heart of men, we read verse 21, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. He lays out 13 specific sins. And I just want to say two things about them. I'll spend about five minutes on them. And then we're going to spend the rest of our time worshiping the Lord and sharing in communion together. It's doubtful that those religious leaders, that each of them were guilty of all these sins. Just like it's doubtful that we here today are gathered, you know, gathered together, are guilty of all these sins. Probably not ever. And, and as Christians, none of them should be taking place in our lives. But, but here's, here's my point. They weren't guilty of all of them, but they were guilty of some of them. And the same is true for us. All have sinned, all do sin, all will sin. It's not fatalistic to acknowledge it because if we don't know that we're still capable of sin, we're going to think, well, I'm okay. And he says, be careful when you, you know, think like that, lest you fall. Be careful when you think you've arrived because you haven't. And, and he says, no temptation overtakes us except that which is common to man. We're all tempted in the same ways, but here's what you need to know and most of you do, temptation is outside of us. The real problem is inside. As he mentions these, keep that in mind because everything that he says happens is happening because of something that's going on inside. Yes, the movies. Yes, the violence in, in the, the video games. Yes, the, the pornography. And there are so many other things. All of those contribute but they're not the core of the problem. And if you got rid of all of those, you still would have the heart issue that led to them in the first place. Evil thoughts is first because sin begins in the mind. Temptations outside, dwelling on its possible pleasures or possibilities leads to a choice. And that choice is made in the heart of men, in the core of man or woman. Adulteries, that's infidelity, both physically and spiritually. In the Old Testament, there's a lot of focus by God on spiritual adultery. Not to say physical adultery wasn't a problem, but spiritual adultery was a greater offense to God because it wasn't just harming people, taking advantage of them, which adultery does. 
It's, it's, it's allowing yourself, and it's so common in the culture, it's, it's people are starting to say, well, that's not that bad, but it's allowing yourself to look at another man's wife and think, man, that, that, could, that could work out for me. That could be cool for me. David did that with Bathsheba. And it didn't work out real well for him. So, so uh, infidelity physically, it's lust for another guy, lust for another gal, lust for another God spiritually. The cure for lust, by the way, isn't marriage. Because if you're younger, some people think, well, I have this problem with lust, but when I get married, I'll have a legitimate and legal and approved outcome or an outlet for all my, my urges and desires. By the way, those urges and desires were given to you by God. They're not evil. It's what you do with them and how you dwell on them and how you choose to apply them. So, so here, here's the bottom line. Marriage won't cure lust. You'll still lust. But here's what can cure lust. It's called love. He said, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. If you love her, you won't lust for someone else instead of her. And gals, I've been told you're capable of lusting too. Don't want to know, but I, I already do. And so uh, it's the same cure. Love your husband. Honor your husband. Love the Lord. Do what's right. Uh, fornications, that's pornea. That's the Greek word. We get our word pornography from it. Perversity, sexual thoughts or deeds. It covers every possible abomination related to sexual activity. And if you go through the Old Testament law, you'll be shocked to see there are prohibitions against things like bestiality. And I'm like, what? That has to be in the law? You need a law to say that's not okay or that's bizarre or beyond? There are so many things that men are capable of and guilty of that if the, the Lord forbids it because he knows the hearts of men. Murders, the root for murders is hatred. That's what Jesus taught us. The, the root for adultery, he says, was lust. If a man looks upon a woman to lust after in his heart, if that's why and how he's looking, then, then it's already adultery in his heart. Well, if, don't, if he doesn't act on it, he doesn't destroy his family, doesn't destroy that family, doesn't destroy, you know, but, but he's still guilty. And, and so some of you never acted on it, and I pray you never do. But if you know that's an issue, today is the day of repentance. Today is the day of salvation. You can be free from that when you leave this place. That word murders is used of massacres. Herod massacring the babies after Jesus was born in a vain attempt to keep him from rising up and sitting on the throne. Caesar's massacre of the Christians. Later, Hitler's massacre of the Jews. It was murder because it was intentional. It was planned and it took the lives of innocents. Thefts, listen, People steal in all sorts of ways. Some steal by violence, some by threat, some by extortion, others by fraud or by stealth. When it comes down to taking that which isn't yours, there's a guy named Achan in the book of Joshua. You can read his story. Just remember he was Achan and, uh, because they end up you know, stoning him. But nevertheless, uh, he, he, he explains how he fell. 
in just six words. I saw, I coveted, I took. Hey, that's what happened with David and Bathsheba. I saw, I coveted, and I took. And, and by the way, the word for thefts is klepto. And the idea is, is, is you know, it's this impulse. People think because they have impulses, somehow they can't control those. We all do. We just choose where and when. Covetousness is at its core ingratitude. When you see the depravity of man going from where he starts in Romans 1 down to the depths, the first sin is ingratitude, ungratefulness toward God. And what, what does that lead to? Well, it's, it's, you know, dissatisfaction with God's provision, an insatiable desire for more and more and more. And we're told in the Old Testament, he who loves silver will never be satisfied with silver. He who loves gold will never get enough. But if you love God, he'll actually satisfy your need for him and your need for everything else. Wickedness is the fruit of a depraved mind. Malice, maliciousness, um, counsel and deeds that lead to violence. Um, uh, covetousness, wickedness, deceit. Again, that's fraud and guile. It's baiting a hook. It's used of baiting a hook, of setting a trap as they would be trying to do with Jesus. The worst deceit of all is duplicitous. That means I'm a liar and I actually believe my own lies. I believe my own press. If that describes you, you need to repent of that today. Lewdness is lasciviousness. It's a lack of restraint. It leads to depravity like wickedness. It is expressed in actions and deeds. It's not just mentally dwelling on it. It's engaging in it. An evil eye, that's moral and spiritual. Again, they're plotting and planning to do harm. And, uh, and that's what an evil eye does. It, it looks and thinks and plans. How can I take advantage? How can I overcome? How can I get that? Pride, that's arrogance. It's a factor in the rebellion and fall of Satan. It was a factor in Eve's fall because pride exalts self, not God. Foolishness, it's a lack of or the opposite of godly wisdom. Foolishness has mental and moral applications. It's not so much a mental problem, though, as a moral problem. It's a choice to disregard the wisdom God has in his word and to grab hold of the wisdom of men. All these evil things, he says, come from within and defile a man. I already mentioned it. They couldn't have been guilty or doubtful. They were all guilty of all those things, but they were all guilty of some of those things. And if you have one thing on this list that kind of pierces your heart today, repent of it, confess it, ask forgiveness for it. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And then know this, God comforts those with broken hearts. God convicts those with wayward hearts. God condemns those with unrepentant hearts and he cleanses those whose hearts cry out to him, confessing our sins, repenting of them. When we sin against another person, it is almost always an act in which we are putting ourselves before that person that we sin against. 
and this defiles us. Pastor Sam made mention that the cure for this is love. As Jesus encourages us to love each other in John 15, he says greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. There is no greater way to show that true biblical love for another person than by putting them before you regardless of the cost. And while many may say it's impossible or at least extremely difficult to do, we must remember the concept of God providing where he guides you. And we are commanded or guided to love like this, but it will take the strength of Christ to help you pull it off. So a great place to start is to pray for it, and I am certain God will be listening. The Calvary Road is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Chico, and you can visit our website, ccchico.com, or download the CC Chico app to contact us and listen to other studies from Pastor Sam. You can also listen to The Calvary Road as a daily podcast by visiting thecalvaryroad.com. We'd love to hear from you. And until next time, may you find grace and peace as your journey takes you down the Calvary Road. And your grace.